0: Amen. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Murray. And thank you for our children's sermon. It goes lines with what I want to talk about is prayer. So if you look back at Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 9, verse 13, excuse me, verse 13. uh, Luke is one of my favorite writers. I love to read Luke. Uh, Luke, uh, in fact, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other writer. When you put together, not only did he write Luke, but he also wrote Acts. And he is the only Gentile writer in the New Testament. In fact, there are a lot of those that come from different directions, but all of them are Jewish writers. But here's a Gentile, a Greek, who writes in the New Testament. He was probably a God-fearer that sat in the back of the synagogue in a place called Antioch in Syria. And then when Barnabas or at least the Christians came to Antioch and Syria they shared not only with the Jews but they also shared with the Greeks and in the middle of that God got a hold of Luke's heart and he changed his life and he began to follow Christ in a very real way and became not only a historian but a great theologian Um, and also he was a doctor and so Paul would take him on his missionary trips and he learned a lot of theology from Paul as he sat at Paul's feet. It's amazing how he writes. The only classical Greek we have in the New Testament is in the first verses of uh, Luke. As he writes classical, he could write classical Greek, but he comes down and writes corne Greek, which is the everyday language of people. But he just wants us to know in the first four verses, he could write with the greatest historians of his day. But he does put a lot of emphasis on prayer, and here he is praying about, or he starts his book and talks about how Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth had prayed for a child for so long, and God had answered that prayer, but he was looking for the right kind of time to bring it to happening. And so he, the angel, comes to Zacharias and says, your prayer has been answered, and your wife Elizabeth is gonna have a child in, your, in her old age. It's, um, Susan and I uh, prayed that prayer. Uh, God, would you give us a child? We didn't think we could have children, and uh, we were told we could not have children, and so we prayed that prayer for God to give us a child, and uh, we went to a doctor in Richmond, and um, I remember him coming into the room, where we were and he said you guys are going to have a baby and that was an awesome kind of moment and when he told us that he told us that he was crying and then susan started crying and i started crying and we were just crying because here was an answered prayer to and god gave us two more answers to prayer but we're not praying that prayer anymore we don't have that prayer in our vocabulary or not but we're praying for our daughters-in-law who are telling us don't pray that prayer anymore we don't want you the factory has been closed and we don't want to make any more prayer requests like that but it's amazing when prayers answer and god does amazing things and i've seen him bring about some things that were just totally beyond anything i ever expected um my, da- my granddaughter is uh, Charlotte announced to us um, that, and it was a kind of a shock that uh, she was a vegetarian. now we, I don't think we have any vegetarians in our family, so as far as I know, she is the only vegetarian in our family, but she's chicken McNugget so <laughs> He is not a serious vegetarian. (laughs) Now, I want to play on that word serious for a moment because there are prayers that you make now and lay me down to sleep, and then there are serious prayers that you pray. And some of the most serious prayers are not so much the long-winded prayers, but the prayer of Peter as he was sinking and the storm was raging And his prayer is very short and to the point. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. You pray those prayers when you're in a fix and you're trying for God. You have this need for God to pull you out of the moment. And the moment's over your head and you don't know how to handle it. So you just pray to God. It may be in a closet somewhere. Lord, help me. Lord, save me. It may be in a bathroom, surrounded by your family in that bathroom, while things are swirling around you around. But it's a short prayer. And what God gauges in that moment is not so much the words you say, but he looks back and looks at the attitude that you have as you pray that prayer. And I've seen many people pray the Lord's Prayer where their really hearts were not in it but God hears our attitude behind the prayers that we have. Now I want you to turn to another scripture and uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 18. Jesus is uh, on his way to Jerusalem and as he's on his way, the longest part of Luke is chapter 9 through verse 19. It's called the journey. As he's moving his Uh, as he's moving toward Jerusalem. He knows what's going to happen there at Jerusalem. He's walking into something that he knows is beyond him. And along the way, he's teaching his disciples. And one of the things that he's teaching his disciples is about prayer and how the right way to pray. And if you have your Bibles, look in Luke chapter 18, verse 9. There's a story of two men who went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, which was probably the most religious group that they had. And one was a tax collector, who was the most despised of all those. And so as these two men go up to the prayer, he he, uh, talks about the words that they say. But more important is the attitude behind what they say. In verse 11, the Pharisee stood, and when he stood he prayed he said he he used a lot of this words to describe how good he is and how he is not like that other person over there have you ever done that as he prayed he prayed um god i'm glad i'm not like that tax collector over there i'm not like those kind of people over there i'm i'm glad i'm not like that and this is what i do I want you to be impressed by what I do. I fast twice a week, and I pay all tithes, everything beyond that. And he was speaking to himself, and his prayer was never heard. And sometimes we approach God with saying, "You know, I'm glad I'm good as I am, and I'm glad I'm not like so and so and so and so." And God is not in prayer. But he was a tax collector. And that tax collector wouldn't even look up. Tax collectors known for ripping off people. They had Rome behind them so they could charge whatever they wanted to charge. And you had to pay it because Rome would make sure that you would pay it. They had a flat tax that if you didn't pay them the flat tax, they would mash you flat. That was the idea. And so it was... It was room for all kinds of greed and rooms of all kinds of misuse of people. And probably in his background, he had all these places that if he could go back, he would change what he did. There were regrets that he wished he hadn't done. So the tax collector just beat his breast. He wouldn't even look up. He just said, God, have mercy. Have mercy. And Jesus said, I want you to know this. I tell you, and whenever he says, I tell you, that is, mark this down, listen to it, don't ever forget it. The tax collector was justified. That's in the perfect tense. It was justified for what had happened in the past. It was justified for what he did in the present. And it was justified for what he would do in the future time. Now, all of us have places that we would go back and we would do those kind of things all over again. I had a lady come see me one time in, in uh, several years ago when I was uh, First Baptist, Fairhope, and... And she came to me, and she, she was very, uh, um, just came to me was just something she was really struggling with. And in her college days, she had been a wild child. She had done all this stuff in her college days that she was so ashamed of. She didn't like that person she used to be back there when she was in college. And now she was a mother with two girls trying to raise them. And she was struggling with the fact of all that stuff in her past that was there. And it was just, you know, just, yeah. and I thought about that. And I thought it's about some of my teaching that I'd had at Southwestern that uh, you confess. And Sigmund Freud in his push says, you know, as you, long as you push things down, they come back in another form. They come back as anger. They come back as depression and they don't come back as that whatever you're pushing down. And I said, why don't we go to the church and let's kneel down and let's pray. And so I, we went down to the front of our church there, at First Baptist Church. There's this stained glass window that's up there and it makes so beautiful. It's dark inside the sanctuary. Nobody else was there. And as I knelt down beside her, and and we were up there on the uh, podium, and I said, now, you just pour your heart out to God. I said, I don't need to know all those things you did. That's between you and God. So I prayed for her, and I went to the back of the church. I didn't care to hear any of the things that she was saying. And I went to the back of the church, and watch this lady who got down on her knees and she poured her heart out to God. And she just really let God have all this kind of stuff, trash, that was there back in her life. And something happened. I watched her change. I watched something happen in her heart. I watched her get regain a glow. And as she walked out of that church, I was a different kind of person. The things that had happened in the past, she kept pushing down and pushing down and pushing down. And they kept coming back. And so finally she got to the point where she confessed. And as we confess in our sins, God is faithful just to forgive us of our sins and restore that place that sin wants to tear apart. And as she walked out of that sanctuary, she went out and hugged me. And she said, thank you, Pastor. Pastor. God has blessed me with this moment. So when we pray, one of the first things we do is we pray for God about those things that kind of stay. Maybe you've never confessed those things. Maybe you've pushed those things kind of down. But those things will kind of stay and they will just kind of haunt you and come back in different kind of forms. And when you and I pray, our prayer should be, God, forgive me. But once you bring it to him and confess it, It's okay. But the problem is we keep pushing it down, pushing it down, pushing it down. So I wonder today as, as you come to pray, is there things that you've just left kind of hanging and you never sat down and you've never just before the Lord just kind of confessed those things? It's the most redeeming place you could be. And it will make a difference in your prayer life. Now, let's look at another example. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to John chapter 1? Excuse me, John chapter 2. I just want to see if you were paying attention. John chapter 2. John chapter 2 is about Jesus' first miracle. And when John was writing his gospel, he said, you know, they've overlooked this one. Let's put this one in there. It needs to be in there. And he begins to start at chapter 2 and go through chapter 11, and he tells about all these miracles that Jesus has done. He could have put a whole lot more, but he had to be kind of selective. But it's important that he put this first miracle there. And it was at a wedding. Now, strange things happen at a wedding. I have um, two weddings that are scheduled for this summer, and I hope, and I keep telling those brides, don't go down to the bay in the summer for one of those outdoor weddings. It just doesn't look good for a sweating bride to start out her marriage down there at the bay. It's hot down there at the bay uh, during the summer. But I could tell you some more stories about weddings. Um, one girl was uh, there and she was, she was turning about as white as a gown that she was in. And I mean, she was sick. And all of a sudden, she threw up. And that's an exciting moment when the bride throws up. <laughs> and I try to tell them I wear a robe when I have weddings. And, and I said, don't throw up on me. These robes are expensive to get laundered. <laughs> throw up on your mother-in-law. Amen. That started off. <laughs> so anyway, she threw up and sat on the front pew and cleaned her up and you could say you know we don't need we can wait or nothing no 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 we're going to go through this there's no determination like a bride's determination and so we went through the service and they said all their vows and then at the end of the service I said you may kiss a bride and he hugged her he didn't (laughs) kiss her And I don't blame him for that (laughs) one. But now Jesus is at a wedding. Um, Weddings are exciting kind of thing. And it's an awesome privilege for me to be a pastor that puts two people together and they say their vows for the commitment of the rest of their life. At this wedding was in a place called Cana of Galilee. We don't even know where Cana of Galilee is. It was one of those fishing villages along the Sea of Galilee, and they would fish while the fish. These kind of villages would grow up while the while the fish were biting. When they moved down in another place, that village would disappear, and they'd go to another village. But it was in Cana of Galilee, and if you have your Bibles, it's the third day, chapter two, verse one of John. They were in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now, John never calls. Um, Mary Mary he calls her the mother of Jesus and evidently Mary was in charge of the wedding she was on the wedding committee there was a man in charge of the wedding but everybody knows it's the women that do all the work in the background so Mary is and Mary is a kind of a control kind of person she likes to take control she wants control but now if you remember back in scripture uh, Mary had never had that kind of wedding it was just her and Joseph and the rabbi so the wedding she never had maybe she's throwing this in maybe this is somebody that's kin to her and so she's putting on everything she can for the wedding the fellowship committee there got all the food and all the wine by the way it must have been an Episcopal wedding amen it wasn't a Baptist wedding. I work out at the center there where Susan and I work out. It's right next to the state store. <laughs> and so whenever I come out of workout, we work out. I see some of my members over there in that, <laughs> and I wave at them. I say, hey, how y'all doing? <laughs> and they duck. <laughs> so, anyway, there's a problem there's a problem in the wedding and they have no wine it's a kind of social disgrace It's not a big deal not a big deal as far as the world's concerned but to that couple that was a big deal and to Mary that was a big deal and so Mary comes to Jesus and it seemed like she had come to him for quite some time and so this is what she meant to problem. If you have your Bibles, look, at they have no wine. It's not like they're running out. They've probably been running out for quite some time. They've tried to cover it up, maybe water it down, and it but it eventually it just went out. And let me ask you something. Uh, you here today running out of something because it's easy to run out. Maybe patience, maybe something you're just disgusted with. But we all run out of things. So they had run out of wine, and she comes to Jesus. I thought it's so interesting how this, how he he talks to her and she talks to him. Uh, verse five says his mother saith unto the servant, "Excuse me." Verse four. He, Jesus says to her, woman, uh, what have I to do with you? That sounds so harsh. I mean, if I ever spoke to my mother like that, my dad would uh, put pressure to the seat of my understanding. That's, my dad did that quite a bit, and Coach Speed did that. A lot of people would put a lot of pressure to the seat of my understanding. But that term is like, it's like we get our word gynecologist from that. So he's being more polite, and I want him to be more polite. But here's a struggle between a mother and a son. You ever had that kind of struggle? Who's in control here? Maybe she had been controlling him all his life when he felt like when he was 12 years old in the temple, I, I must be about my father's business. She said, no, you're going home with me. Maybe there's this control factor here because it's hard to let go of control. Um, Susan and her mother, when she was in a nursing home over or the um, um, home over there, she she would uh, pick her up and they'd go riding. And her mother never would say anything; she'd just point. You need to turn here. You need to turn there. I need to turn here. There's this is control. People like to have control, and they kind of hard time losing control. Who's running this show? Is it you that's telling me what to do? Or do you need to let it go and let me handle this situation? And evidently she got the message because one of the prime things in Scripture is whatever he tells you to do, do it. So there's the empty water jugs that were there. He had the servants to fill up those water jugs. And by the way, the word for servants there is diakonos, where we get our word deacon. And then he told him to draw and take it to the man who was in charge of the wedding. He said, that's the best stuff we've ever had. And there's a good principle in there. There's a place you could come back and preach on that, and you could say... The best is with God, the best is always last. With sin, the best comes first, and then you have to pay for it later. But with God, the best is always last. And we saw his glory, said John. We saw his glory at an out of the way place in a wedding, and even the bridegroom didn't know where it came from. They saw Christ's glory. Now let me give you an incident in my life when, when my second year at Auburn, I was in a hurting place. I was, uh, my mom was uh, working at Sears, my dad was in the veterans hospital in Birmingham, my two brothers were at home, and and I was at Auburn. I was struggling to uh, kind of keep things together. I didn't want to put any more pressure on my mom to ask her to send me some money. So I had three jobs and one of the jobs I had was working in a chemistry department. I'd pack up this chemistry uh, examples they had and and also waited on tables and also cleaned the rifles in the ROTC center. So I didn't have much time for my studies and in fact, I didn't study very much. And I was taking calculus and calculus is the course that needs your attention or at least it needed my attention. But I wasn't giving it the attention that it deserves. In fact, I was taking it for the second time. Maybe not because I liked like calculus, but um, I didn't do so well the first time. So it was time for me to take it again for the second time. And I believe I believe hell's a place where you take calculus. I believe that's a, <laughs> and the best you can do is an F plus. That's about the best you can do. So I went into uh, the final exam hoping I'd get a D. I don't know if you've ever been. I believe there will always be prayer in school as long as there are tests. And as long as they are calculus, there's going to be prayer in school as you go into a calculus class. So I went into my exam. And when I went into my exam, I came out of that. And I just said, I'll pack up, go back to Selma, work at Hog, work for Mr. Sweeney. Wherever I can find a job, I'll just go. That'll be the rest of my life and do that, so I thought as I was going out, leaving out, I packed up, it was a Christmas vacation, so I packed up, and as I'm packing out, up, I went by, and I thought, well, just by chance, I'll, I'll check at Funchess Hall, where the grades were posted. So I found my name on the list, and I went down the list, and there was a B. So I said, that's gotta be wrong, so I, I found my name again and went maybe I slipped or raised a whatever that and uh, I raised it again and it was a B and I, I, I had this inclination to go back and thank my professor but if I thanked him then he would know that he made a mistake and so he would <laughs> correct the mistake but I know where that came from Because my mama was on 819 Third Avenue in Selma, Alabama. And she was praying for her son. And God answered that prayer. And I thank God for a praying mother. I thank God for those who prayed for me when I was in Vietnam. And God answered that prayer. That's the word that we say when we pray, help. I need help. Those that don't need help, they never have their prayers answered. But for all of us, when we say help, God help me. God help my children. God help my neighbor across the street. God help this person that's going through a hard time. God help my community. So we pray for ourselves, but we also can pray for others. And a great privilege that you and I have is that kind of privilege. We can pray for ourselves. And God has answered so many prayers down the years that it's amazing to me that prayer really works. Now, how does God answer prayer? And I quickly want to say this. There are three ways that God answers prayer. One, he gives a miracle, and I don't know if you've ever prayed for a miracle, but I've prayed for a miracle, and a miracle is when there's no explanation. It just happens, and God's blessing is on it, and he gives us a miracle, and I've been at people's bedside to pray for God to watch over them and take care of them and deliver them for whatever, and I watched a miracle happen that was just beyond any kind of explanation. Sometimes God says, you do this and I'll do that. And when they came to the Jordan River during flood time, God says, you step in the water and I'll part the water. And they said, no, why don't you part the water and then I'll step into it. And that's what deacons are for. You send the deacons out there in the water and see if (laughs) it's... I was visiting one time with one of my deacons, and there was a doberman. And I said, you take the doberman, I'll go in the house. (laughs) So God says, step in the water. That's a hard thing to do, but he says, maybe take your chemotherapy treatments. Or you do this, take the medicine, you do this, and I'll do that. But there are some times that God just says no. And Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane. And I enjoyed being there in Israel and being in, and he's sweating those drops of blood. And, and he prays three times, Lord, take this away from me. But then he says this clause, which is a clause that kind of keeps you and I together. Nevertheless, not my will but your will be done. And it says the angels came and ministered to him. Because whenever God tells you no, he'll give you strength to go through it, whatever you've got to go through. And he'll give you his presence to help you take every step along the way. That's the assurance of answered prayer. And there's a French philosopher who uh, I've read about and he he gets my attention. He talks about um, the ship on the sea, his name's Victor Hugo. And Victor Hugo would talk about the ship is out in the sea and the storm's going on and it's raging everywhere. And as the storm's going on and raging everywhere, in the hull of that ship, there's this loose cannon. And this loose cannon is banging up against the side of the ship. And Hugo says the danger is out there in the, where the danger is, is outside the ship and is out there. But the greatest danger is that loose cannon that's kind of banging up against the side of the ship. And sometimes we need to deal with a loose cannon that's inside of our hearts. And the greatest danger may be not outside and the things that are going on outside. But the greatest danger may be some things that are going on in our lives that need God's attention and needs our attention to say, God, take care of this." Now, I want you to bow your heads, if you would, with me this morning. And I want you to take a chance and go into God in prayer. And I'm not going to embarrass you. We're not going to do any strange things. David says to search my heart, oh, God, and see if there are any wicked way about me. So would you start by just asking God to search your heart? Maybe some things I don't want to look at, maybe some things I've put in the past and let them go, and, but somehow these things keep coming back up, and they begin to take over my life and my heart even control a lot of my actions and if God puts something on your heart right now you just have your own solid time that you just ask God to forgive you that's one of the hardest things we have to do is ask God for forgiveness but maybe you need to pray for somebody Maybe somebody really is going through a hard time. They're going in a hard place. And maybe they need your prayers for that place where they are in their life. Maybe somebody in our community is going through a hard time with all that's going on. And maybe you know of them and you maybe just, God just kind of brings it to your heart. And maybe you need to pray for them. Father, hear our prayers today. Help us to confess that we need help dealing with life and dealing with the situation we're in. And our children and grandchildren need help in the situation they're in. We have friends that are going through some tough times that need, their, uh, need to have help in their situation. Help us to do our part in praying for them. Thank you for those that have prayed for me during my lifetime. And I thank you that those prayers work. As we're in kind of silent prayer mode, help it to be a moment where you're right here with us. Help us to experience your presence. And I pray for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.